Hey, welcome to the Fusion ATL podcast. This is Pastor Vance. If you're not familiar with Fusion, we are the Young Adult Ministry for Victory World Church in Norcross, Georgia. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Fusion ATL. I hope you enjoy this message and we look forward to seeing you soon. What's up, Fusion? What's going on, everybody? I see a couple faces I know. I know y'all don't know me. It's cool. We'll get to know each other tonight. What's cool about Victory is we are one church in multiple locations, and that's the same for Fusion Community. We are one church, multiple locations, so I'm going to be bringing the word tonight. Y'all don't know me. I'm like the kind of whack white version of Vance. It's okay. It's all right. I know it. He's a good-looking man, and I'm just trying to be like him. So tonight's going to be interesting. Let me introduce myself to you. Uh, My name is Chad Price. Don't call me Pastor Chad. I'm just Chad. Um, Actually, I've been on staff at Victory for six years this month. Six years this month. Y'all clap for that. It's hard to keep a job nowadays. Six years this month. And the first five years that I was here on staff, I was actually on staff here at Norcross. And I was in the marketing team called Experience. And I was over all the visual design and creative that happened here at the church for the last five and a half years. So that's what I did until COVID happened. And then we all know things changed for everybody at that point. And when COVID happened, we all went into quarantine, the whole staff did. And during that time, God likes to shake things up, get us out of our comfort zone. And in that period of time, God called me and my wife, Lori, into full-time ministry as young adult pastors at our Hamilton Mill location. So we are excited to serve there. My family's amazing. Actually, if y'all can throw a picture of my family, they look way prettier than me. Um, I wanna show y'all, this is my squad right here. My, uh, my beautiful wife, Lori Foyne. She's watching right now at Hamilton Mill, so bonus points for me. Uh, and then that's my oldest son in the middle down there. His name is Valor, Valor Price. And then that is my daughter, Celie. She's a firecracker, man. She looks sweet, y'all, but she's dynamite in a small package. And then that is my youngest son, Titan Price. We don't play no games with the names. We're going all the way. And they are, they are my prize and my possession. They are my jewels. They are my treasure, everything to me. So I just want y'all to kind of get a context for who I am. I'm not some random creepy white dude that's here to talk to you guys tonight. I'm part of the family and we'll get to know each other through the process of tonight. And actually when we close tonight, I wanna meet you guys. So we'll do this in some kind of orderly fashion, but I'm gonna hang out up here at the front. I would love to meet you, get to know you, just dap it, elbows, whatever we do, get to know you guys so you can get to know me. And that's what we'll do tonight. So. Let's get in it. This is going to be an interesting night. Obviously, you're not used to me. I'm not used to you, but I love feedback. I like when you talk back to me. Okay. All right. My person right here in the middle. Okay. Let's go. So I love the feedback. Tonight's going to be interesting. Hold on. Pause, pause, pause. My squad at Hamilton Mill. Y'all watching right now. I know y'all going nuts. I can hear it reverberating in my soul right now. Y'all are excited that we're here. Thank you for joining us. I'll see you guys next week. Before we move forward, though, tonight's going to be cool because we were actually going to start a new series at Hamilton Mill. Uh, I know you guys are going to start a new series as well here. And we have been going through a couple different series throughout this year. Y'all know it's a year of health. Pastor Vance has talked about it. That's what we're doing as a church here. 
And through that process, we're doing some cool things at Hamilton Mill. And you guys, I know you guys are doing it here. We're kind of getting back to the basics. Like this is a year where we kind of like, all right, like we've, we've done some cool things. Let's get back to the nitty gritty of our belief. Let's get down to the nitty gritty of what we believe, why we believe it, because the world's not getting any easier. It's just gonna keep getting tougher. So we gotta be able to lean on our faith and the truths that we have inside of us, okay? So that's what we've been doing. We just finished a series at Hamilton Mill uh, called 101, obviously, basics. And we've been talking about some different things, finding your purpose, faith. There's a third one, I can't remember it, it's okay. But they're all really good things. <laughs> and then we're gonna start a new series this week. It's gonna come to me like randomly in the middle of the message, it's okay. It's okay. Um, this week, we're gonna start a new series and you guys are gonna join us. And I would encourage you guys, you can listen to the rest of the series throughout the next couple of weeks. If you hit us up on Instagram, go in our, our bio, a link in our bio. Um, you can get to our YouTube page and find us. It's hard to find us, but it's okay. We're small, we're growing. Um, but you can find us and follow through the series. But we're gonna start a series tonight. We're gonna do it together um, on the Bible, which no one's really excited about, and that's cool. Um, I think when you originally think about the Bible, no, no, that's cool, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I thought the same thing. Like even when I said it like last week to my, like, to my family, I was like, we're gonna talk about the Bible. And I said it and immediately like I, I wanted to pull the words and put them back in my mouth because I, I knew people would be like, meh, you know, I'm okay with that. It's fine. But what's really cool is I think for us, if we're going to stand on something, if we're gonna believe something, we gotta actually know why we believe it. So tonight we're going to talk about a few things, but one, we're going to talk about the Bible and the origin of the Bible and actually how it came to exist. So once you guys know how it came to exist, you can actually start trusting in those words because it's not just a book that your parents told you about or something that your grandparents told you about. It's something that you've read and now you know why it exists and why it resonates with you. Are y'all down? Cool. Let's go. All right, so the origins of the Bible. Give, I want to see a, a show of hands. Who in here was introduced to the Bible as a child? Most of the room. I'm scanning, scanning. Okay, hands down. Who was introduced to the Bible in like the last few years, like five, 10 years? Didn't know anything about it until then. My girl right there. Okay, in the back. Cool, a few of you. Good, good, good. So this will actually be beneficial for everybody in this room. Because it doesn't matter whether you learned about it as a child or you just learned about it in the, next, in the last couple of years. It does not matter. Girl, you're on the same page as me. I'm still learning it. It's still a new thing. But we have to understand where it came from. All right? So if you don't know where the Bible came from, it's easy to like discount the things in the Bible. If you don't know the origins of it, I mean, fake news, let's be real. If you don't know where that information's coming from, you can't trust it. You'd be like, okay, I mean, it's a, it's a cool story. Like, you know, the Red Sea parted. Okay, that's kind of dope. But is that real? Is that a story somebody passed down? And there's a lot of theories and ideas out there that are all over the internet about, oh, well, the Old Testament is just poems. It's just stories or illustrations to talk about what God could do in our lives. Garbage. Y'all get used to me tonight, it's okay. I just kind of blurt things out. So 
The way we got our Bibles is not the way the world got the Bible. So like my first Bible, this isn't my first Bible, but this is kind of reminiscent of what it was. I had this giant like brown, no, it was blue leather NIV Bible. Got it when I was like 12 years old. Had like my name in gold. And y'all have like the name in gold on there. You boosted so hard when you came to church. You had that junk like, bow. Like you're showing everybody, like, yo, that's my name. That ain't my daddy's name. Like that's my name on the Bible. This is mine. That's how I grew up. That's what I started with. And my parents told me, like when they gave it to me, this is like exactly how it happened. They were like, here's the Bible. I was like, okay. <laughs> and they said, it's important. Okay, okay. Everything in it is true. Okay. And I just had to kind of take them at their word. And a lot of us have done that. We've grown up and our parents told us, this is what the Bible is and it's true. Or our grandma said, this is the Bible. Child, you better listen, it is true. Or your uncle said, you better listen to this, this is true. And that's how we came to know the word and what it is based on what other people told us. So I wanna chop that up tonight. I wanna go back to the basics. I want us all to have an understanding of how the Bible came to be so it resonates for us personally, not based on something that we heard from somebody at our house when we were kids and we didn't even care about it. Cool? All right, so some of you guys have read the Bible and just accepted the things that you heard in it. You just lived your whole life and you're like, yo, I, I heard it. My parents said it's good, resonates with me. I'm not checking it, it's fine. And then there's some of us in this room that read things like right now in the Bible and we're like, that doesn't really fit with the world I'm living in right now. Like that's a, that's a cool story from something that happened thousands of years ago, but how does that actually fit into my circumstances at this moment. So that's where we're gonna jump into tonight. All right, so let's go into the origin of the Bible. And the story of the Bible actually doesn't begin in Genesis, right? Off the bat, y'all were like, some of y'all were like, like right there, I just shook like half the room. Did not start in Genesis. It actually started about two thirds through the Bible. Two thirds through the Bible, in this book called Luke. And Luke was written by this first century Greek physician. First century Greek physician. And he was one of the few literate people that followed Christ. Like Christ was here on earth. He was hanging out with him. He knew how to write. Wasn't very common. He was one of those guys. And then Luke had his friend, I'm gonna get his name because I'm gonna botch his name. Luke had a friend, Theophilus. Oh, yeah, I got my cheat sheet back there. Yeah, he had his friend, Theophilus. All right, Theophilus was this very wealthy first century Jesus follower. And essentially, Theophilus was balling out of control, loved Jesus, and he wanted to take some of that money and actually pay Luke, his boy, to take all the accounts and all the experiences that he had experienced while hanging out with Jesus and document it and give it to him, like a letter or a book or a whatever, a story. 
So that's how the entire book of Luke starts. It is Luke talking to his, his buddy. Imagine it like this. Imagine like this. I'm trying to find something that's culturally relevant because I'm way older than most of the people in this room. Imagine if, I see you, Kyle. Kyle, imagine if you were hanging out on the road with Drake, okay? And you were on tour with, with Drake for like three years. And then you had a friend that was balling that knew you, but didn't know Drake. Well, obviously, two or three years on the road with Drake, that's gonna be wild. Like there's gonna be some crazy things that happen in those two or three years. So he's very interested. Your friend's very interested in what's happening on these trips. You've told him little stories here and there. He's seen the scars from random things that happened, whatever was going on. And he wants to know more about what happened. So he just pays you, bro, I'll give you like 500 to sit down and just scribe out Tell me every story that happened while you and Drake were hanging out for two or three years. That's the exact context of what happened here in Luke. So we're gonna jump into the scripture. I'm not gonna throw the scripture up there. I think I have references for it up there. You can see it. But I want you guys to kind of like follow with me in your Bibles or your phones or whatever. Follow with me. I'm gonna jump through this pretty quick. But we're gonna jump into Luke chapter one, verses one and two. So this is Luke right here talking to his, his boy. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from, early, from the early disciples. So think about ancient history. There's not a lot of written documentation of a lot of things. You go back thousands of years, there's not a lot of documentation. But he's saying right here, Luke 1, Many eyewitness reports, many people, eyewitness reports. So right there off jump, we have something that's unique. There are many people that are writing eyewitness accounts and reports about what they experienced when being around Jesus. That alone is odd. If you know anything about history, there's not a lot of times in ancient history past hundreds of years ago where you had multiple accounts talking about the same person in history. And that's what happens right here in Luke. So now let's jump into Luke 1, three through four. So this is Luke talking again. He says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. I'm gonna have my friends start addressing me that way. Most honorable Chad, when we hang out, it's so weird. Decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So he's already a follower of Jesus, Theophilus, already, he's already sold, he's already in. But Luke's giving him accounts to tell him more about who this Jesus is, because he's curious. So when Luke was writing this letter to his friend, he was not writing the Bible. Luke did not know what a Bible was, didn't exist. Wasn't a such word around, didn't make any sense. Luke was writing a letter to his friend. That's all it was. That's all it was. He had no idea the Bible would ever even exist. He was just, his boy hired him to write stories about what he'd experienced with Jesus, and that's all he was doing. So 
since he didn't know that millions of years later, we would be reading this, not millions, sorry, thousands of years later, millions of people would be reading this. Why? Why is this important? And Luke starts helping us understand why and how the story of the Bible began in this intro story. So are you guys ready for me to kind of pull back the curtain tonight and give you guys some real insight into how the Bible even fell into place and why we have it right now? Are you guys even excited about this? You excited about it? Yeah, this is interesting. This is interesting stuff. All right, so early Jesus followers, they figured something out. They figured out that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Pause, stick with me. You're like ready to throw something at me right now. Blasphemy. They figured something out. They figured that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Their perspective, and I'm gonna break it down right here. Jesus said some crazy stuff. He jumped on the scene and he's like opening scrolls in the synagogue and he's like, see all these prophecies? I fulfill that. Can we think about that for a second? In this setting, in this modern synagogue setting, imagine some cat walking in here, walking up on the platform, pulling out a book and be like, yo, this right here, that's me. Because even back then, the documentation was ancient. What he was reading from the book of Isaiah was ancient. It'd been around forever. But he came and said, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. So people either thought he was nuts or they thought he was the king that was coming to rebuild the kingdom of Israel. One of two things. There is no middle ground, no other options. Either you're completely insane, cuckoo, or you are the king that's come to revitalize our nation and build a kingdom. And they thought this because this is what the scripture said. They said that the Messiah would come and the kingdom would be rebuilt. But that's not what he was even talking about. Like we all kind of have context now, but think about it then. That's what he was saying. They were like, okay, well, you're the king. Cool, you're gonna come here. We're gonna rally up. You're gonna build a big old castle or a fort or whatever it is. And like, that's how we're gonna start off this next generation, this new kingdom of Israel. But something happens that really blows that whole thing up. Jesus dies. He's like, yo, I'm here to rebuild all these things. I'm here to resurrect this. We're gonna take this into the future. And then he gets crucified. And that's where things start to change in the Bible. The plot thickens. So there are two guys, two guys that were very popular in that time. One was Joseph. He was a member of the Supreme Court. And then Nicodemus, a tax collector. Back then, these guys would have been culturally very popular people in that area. Very affluent, very wealthy. Everyone knows them. Like they walk the streets, people are hollering at them. Like they're a known person in that community. So Jesus dies on the cross. Hang with me. Stick with me. We're going to fly through this. Then these two men take Jesus' body down from the cross. 
And they didn't do this because they thought that someday they would end up in the Bible or in a history book. They, do it, they did it because they believed him and they were perplexed on why this just happened. They were blown away. But Jesus said all these things and now he's dead. So we're gonna pick it up right here in Luke 23, verses 50 through 53. There, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious, uh, religious leaders, blah. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. We just talked about that. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is coming, right? I'm gonna rebuild this thing, do this thing. He was waiting for that. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. So much detail in this. You can tell Luke's a doctor. He's very detail-oriented in everything that's happening here. And then Luke 23, 55 through 56, just a couple of verses later, says, and his body was taken away. The women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. So at this point, the Jesus movement was blown to pieces. He had had thousands of people following him, Jesus, tons of people following him. And then all of a sudden he gets killed. Now imagine if the guy you're following gets killed for being, doing what he's doing and you're following him, what would you do? What would you do? I mean, I would hide out. I would, I would like lay low for a little bit. And that's exactly what everybody was doing. Everyone was freaking out. They were scared for their lives. They didn't know what was going on. And this right here is the turning point of the story of the Bible. If it had ended right there, if the entire story had ended right there, there'd be no Bible, there'd be no Christians, there'd be no church. None of this right here would exist if the story ended right there. But that's not why Luke documented the story. Luke documented the story because the story did not end there. He documented because something happened later on. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So there's some crazy things that were happening in here. People are scared. Disciples are hiding out. Jesus is dead. And then eventually Peter and the other disciples have to come in contact in confrontation with the guys that killed Jesus. And here's what happens, what Peter says in Acts 2, verse 32. He said, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses to this. Somebody say, all witnesses. That was pretty good. He said, we didn't read about it. We didn't just hear through hearsay. It wasn't a story. We saw him. And this is what he's telling the guys that killed Christ. We saw him. So Luke goes on to document for the next 30 years after the resurrection, he documents uh, over a third of the New Testament. He actually writes more of the New Testament than Paul did not even know that until I was studying this right here. Had no clue. I thought Paul wrote majority of it. Peter, uh, Luke actually wrote more than Paul did. And he documents um, Acts or Acts of the Apostles that's what he does in his next kind of season of life. And then Luke knew Peter, he knew John, he knew James, the brother of Jesus. And Paul traveled all around the Mediterranean helping plant churches for the Gentiles, the early Gentile churches. So 
Here's the crazy thing. Luke admits that he isn't the only one documenting what happened. So if we go back to that Luke 1, he says many, many are documenting what happened based on what they saw, not what they heard, not what somebody told them, what they saw, they're documenting it. So why would Luke feel compelled to write this as well as many others? Because something extraordinary happened and that's why he felt compelled to write it. So this is something he experienced in many, many others. Let's jump through to Peter. The apostle Peter, he dictated his account to his friend Mark. Now Peter, we know this, he was a fisherman. We know the background of who he was. Kind of a thug, like rough around the edges, not literate from, from what we can tell in history. He couldn't write, but he dictated his thoughts and his stories to Mark. And actually history tells us that the book of Mark came from the lips of Peter. I think we all assume like as soon as a book is named somebody's name, like, yo, they wrote it, they did it, it's them. But it's actually Peter speaking through Mark because Mark was actually a Greek well-educated man. So think about it this way. If I was gonna write a story or talk about stories that had happened as a guy, it'd be a little different than if my wife were to talk about a story, okay? Y'all don't know my wife, but I'm gonna paint a tapestry for you so you can get to know her a little bit. If my wife was to tell a story She'd be like, well, you know, this was going on um, and it was 75 degrees that day. And I remember because my shoulders were cold and because I just bought this new tank top and it was really cute, but I got a sunburn the, the day before and then my stomach was hurting because I had uh, Starbucks and then I was really hungry though, but I couldn't eat. And then finally we came and saw John. And she's like so mad at me right now, but it's cool because she can't say anything to me because she's there and I'm here. But if I wrote a story, it'd be like, hey, we got over here and I saw my boy John and then we left. Like that would be the whole story, the entire story. So that's the difference between what Luke is doing if you read Luke and then if you read what Peter's talking about in Mark. Those are the differences. So now when you read those books, you'll have kind of a better understanding. I'm not saying Luke's like a lady. I'm just saying like he was very detailed in how he constructed his thoughts because he was a physician, a very intelligent guy. And Peter was just a regular dude. And that's how he would write the story. So Mark traveled with Paul. Y'all sticking with me? We've talked about Luke. We've talked about Peter. Now we're talking about Mark, right? Luke, physician. Peter, thug. Mark, dude that hung out with Peter that wrote for him. Now we're talking about Paul. Mark traveled with Paul. He knew Luke. And Mark's account was written about 20 years after the resurrection. 20 years after the resurrection. I think I got a little, yeah, it's right there on, the, on my thrown together timeline. It's right there. So let's jump into Matthew. Matthew wrote an account, a letter, and he actually was writing to the first century Jews. He was writing to tell them that Jesus is the one we have been waiting for. Jesus is the Messiah. So Matthew's perspective is 
that all the things that were talked about in Isaiah, all the old prophetic prophecies and the things that need to be fulfilled, those things point to this person. That was his main goal with this entire book. Everything he wrote was because he wanted people to understand that what you had heard here points to this person here. Y'all tracking with me? So Matthew, he originally wrote everything in Hebrew because he was, uh, he was um, trying to talk to the Hebrew church, the, the Jews. He was trying to talk to them directly and say, hey, everything that was in your original uh, ancient text that talked about Jesus, that's this person. He wrote that in Hebrew because that's what they read and spoke, right? But he also later translated it into Greek because the word of God, the the story of Jesus wasn't just meant for the Jews, it was meant for the Gentiles because most everybody else at that time in the world that was doing anything, making moves, was doing it in Greek. So we had Hebrew, we had Greek. And he made sure that his accounts were put in both because he knew that it had to reach everywhere, not just the Jews, but the entire world. Let's move on to John. John dictated his account around the age of 60. Now, at the time that John wrote his account of his experiences, the average lifespan was 29 years old. 29 years old. So why would John give his account at the age of 60 after he already doubled the life expectancy and he'd actually hung out with Jesus from the ages, I think John, uh, I think it's like 17 to 20 is when he was, what age he was when he was around. Um, they were hanging out. But let's, let's jump in. Why would, why would John give us his account? So all these people have different reasons why they're giving their account. Luke's like, I was there, I saw him. Peter's like, yo, I was there too. We were hanging out, right? Then we talked about Matthew. He's like, yo, I was there, but this message isn't just for us or the Greeks. It's for the Hebrews, the Jews. And then we have John that dictated his account way later on. Why did he give his account? And he tells us right here in John 20, chapter 13, said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Now, what book was he talking about right there? Any, any ideas, any thoughts? No? It's okay. It wasn't the Bible because the Bible didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. He was talking about what he was writing and he was actually writing this not knowing who was ever going to even read it. He was just writing it because it was on his heart. It was a burden that he had. So he goes on to write in John 20, verse 31. He says, but these are written that you may believe. Once again, has no clue who's going to read this doesn't know what point in time people are gonna actually read this and find out what's going on or if it's even gonna happen at all. But he says, but these are written that you may believe. That's John 20, verse 31. And he's speaking to future generations. So some of you here in the room, some of my family at Hamilton Mill, love you guys. You may have doubts about what the Bible is. And truly, if you're being honest with yourself, you're like, okay, like I... Like most of it resonates with me, most of it. But some of these things, man, they're crazy. And I just can't, I can't quite get on board with everything 
that I read inside of this. So if you have doubts about the Bible and you don't believe it, what is the it that you do not believe? Think about it right now. What is the it? What is the it in the Bible that you don't believe? Search your heart real quick, super fast. God, what is it? What is in my heart? What is it the it as I'm reading the scripture that doesn't resonate with me that I don't believe? Because what John's talking about, what Luke's talking about, Mark, all these guys, they're talking about something that they experienced in person and they're writing it down in a document for us. He says right here in John, John 20, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So right there, John is telling you everything. If we could strip away all the accounts, all the people that had experiences with Jesus and break it down to one thing, is John right here, he's telling you everything you need to know, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's good news. Once again, a guy that had no clue anybody would be reading this, no clue that thousands of years later, millions of people would be reading his words. But he's sold out. He's sold out. He's convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt because of the things that he experienced personally, the things that he experienced personally in his life, he is undoubtedly convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God that came to earth to save us all. In fact, he wrote the most quoted scripture we've ever heard. It gets annoying. People write it on their face, on flags, on banners. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Think about the context of that scripture real quick. How many times have we heard that scripture and we're like, Psh, white noise, heard it a thousand times. But think about the context of what we're hearing now. This is a guy that lived life with Jesus. Life changed, miracles seen, convinced that this is the son of God come to earth. And then you read John three sixteen, you're like, oh, shoot. He really believed this. These are not just words. This is his heart and his belief coming off the page, smacking me in my face. He believed this deep inside of his bones. So we're all caught up. We've talked about the main guys, the main cats that were with Jesus, everything that happened in the early part of the New Testament. That brings us to the end of the first century. Still no Bible, doesn't exist. We just got a bunch of letters floating around, a bunch of scribblings on paper, probably, I don't know. It was like skin, goat skin, or I don't know. It was written on something. That's, all that's floating around, but no Bible, doesn't exist. But copies of these letters and testimonies and accounts started circulating around one by one, a handful, then a dozen. 
And they started kind of going from Jesus community to Jesus community. Because remember, there were hundreds and thousands, hundreds and thousands of people that were following Jesus while he was there on the earth. So we already know there's pockets of people all around that believe in him. So these little documents start floating around and they start becoming valuable, very important. Think about like our constitution. It's like in this bulletproof glass. Like that's how they felt about these documents. They were valuable. They were reliable historically because people knew the guys that wrote these documents. These weren't guys that wrote them thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago. This was like that dude right there. He wrote this and they became sacred to these Jesus communities. So at this point, these writings are considered sacred scripture. That's where we start getting that word scripture. All of this happens 250 years before the book, the Bible ever existed. Wasn't around. Nothing but some letters floating around. So let's jump into Rome. I'm gonna wrap this up real quick. We're gonna do something interesting tonight. Rome. Now, Romans didn't care about what gods you served. Didn't care. They had tons of gods. I'm sure y'all have done all kinds of research in history class and you have to learn about all these different things. Had all kinds of gods. God for this, God for that. God for, you know, being hungry and a God for going to the bathroom. And a God for whatever you thought you needed. They had gods for all those things. But here's the problem. Jesus followers didn't pray and worship any of those gods. So we're talking about Rome. We're talking about the culture of Rome. We're talking about they were wiling out, doing crazy things, living extra lives and worshiping whoever they wanted to worship based on wherever they were feeling that day. And that was acceptable socially across the board. That was the norm. Kind of feels like today. Kind of. The problem was Jesus followers didn't do that. They worshiped one God. So when things started getting kind of sketchy in Rome and something would happen, a natural disaster, uh, an earthquake, famine, locusts, something like that, they didn't have any way of explaining it other than just blaming it on somebody. Couldn't blame it on their gods because their gods were vengeful. They, were, they feared them. So they had to find somebody to start blaming these things on, these natural phenomenon. So they started blaming them on the Jesus followers because obviously we're all worshiping the same people and they're not doing it and their numbers are growing. So their numbers are growing, but then we have these natural disasters happening. It must be because of them because they're growing and they're not worshiping the gods that we worship. And that was their thinking. So there was this really um, interesting guy. Uh, I'm going to botch his name. Tertullianus. He wrote this ancient um, quote saying thought in that late first century. And he says this. This is him in Rome saying this. If the Tiber floods, that's a river, the city, or if the Nile refuses to rise, or if the sky withholds its rain, if there is an earthquake, a famine, pestilence, 
at once a cry is raised, Christians to the lion. So let me give you all like the updated version of that. He's saying, if something crummy happens, we're throwing Christians in the lion's den because that will appease the gods. So Christians were to blame for everything. So this all came to a head in 303 AD. I'm gonna throw some info up there for you guys. 303 AD, Emperor Diocletian issued an edict essentially starting the worst state-sponsored persecution of Christians to that date. Now they've been persecuted before. Obviously we saw what happened with Jesus. We knew other Christians were dying for that purpose and that calling. But at this point, he took it to a whole nother level. This is in 303 OD. So we talked about first century all the way through into like 100. Now we've kind of jumped a couple of hundred years where the early church is trying to thrive and is growing through these documents. But then persecution hits in 303. So here's what he said. He ordered that every Christian house of worship be destroyed. Okay. Like we could work with that. And he said, assembly by Christians was illegal. Ooh. It's like China. That all bishops were to be rounded up and forced to recant their allegiance and declare that Caesar is Lord or be punished by death. Okay. Here's the worst thing. And they knew this. Worst of all is that all Christian literature was to be turned in and burnt and destroyed. And if you were caught with literature of any kind, with this Jesus movement, you would lose your life after you saw your wife get murdered, your kids get murdered, then they would kill you. And hundreds, if not thousands of Christians lost their lives protecting fragments of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let that sit for a second. Think common, common days right now. You gonna die for a document, bro? Are you, a document, a piece of animal skin with some scribbles on it? And that's where they were at. And hundreds, if not thousands of Christians were being persecuted and murdered trying to hide these documents and keep them safe. So why would they do that? Why would they risk their lives for documents if it was just words on a piece of paper, words on an animal skin? So here's what happens. Years of this, horrible persecution. And then in 324 AD, about 20 years later, Constantine the Great becomes emperor and cancels that edict. He returned all the property to the Christians. And then Christianity actually became the preferred religion of his empire. That don't make no sense to me. Within 20 years, going from the most persecuted people to the most accepted religion. It's crazy. So for the first time ever at that point, Christian scholars could work out in the open. They could come out of hiding, out of their holes, out of their caves, and they could start working together 
to bring these documents together and the, the, the stage was set for this new thing, this new assembly of these documents called the Tabiblia or the Bible. And there's so much more to this story. That's just the beginning. And Hamilton Mill family, we will finish this next week. And the rest of you guys can check in with us and find out how this story continues to unfold as we continue this series. So we're gonna do something interesting tonight. I'm bringing a little of my Hamilton Mill flavor to you guys. We're gonna do group discussions here in a second. We're gonna spend 15 minutes. I got two questions. You guys need to be respectful of spacing. I understand we're trying to kind of deal with this in a weird culture and climate, but however you can, scoot, turn around, whatever, get in groups of maybe five, eight, 10 tops. We're gonna discuss these two questions together and have a time where we can actually debrief and think about what we heard tonight, what I brought to you guys, and what God's resonating inside of your heart. So y'all can go and hit that timer. We're gonna spend 15 minutes and I'll come up and I'll close this. Let's go. Hey, thank you for listening. We're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you wanna get connected any further, please visit fusionatl.org. You can get plugged into a small group there and you can also send in a prayer request so that we can pray for you. Once again, thanks for listening and thanks for being a part of Fusion ATL.